0: Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at GT Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your
1: journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message.
0: Good morning, church. You doing well? That wasn't great. I know it was September long weekend. Happy September long weekend. Uh, really, really grateful you're here. My name is Lucas. I'm one of the pastors on staff. And I just want to, once again, just reiterate something that was already said. If you are new, if you're moving here, maybe you're going to UVic and the families here. I already met a family this morning who was moving their son into UVic. Please come and meet someone. Get connected. We know what it's like when uh, when studies hit and things happen. And so join us at the 6 p.m. There's also a young adult service. Anyone's welcome, but it's primar- primarily targeted for that. Lots of university students. So, Ultimately, I want to say welcome here. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, Pastor Laura's right; we are in week 15. I did the math: week 15 of a series in Acts, and I mean, there's 28 chapters, so really, we're only halfway. (laughs) Like we could, we should just go. That was like a (laughs) don't. Please say no. Um, No, we're gonna move into some new content moving next week on Welcome Home Sunday. So I do want to wrap up our Acts series, and if you do kind of go back and listen to everything, like these last kind of 10 chapters or so, this last. Kind of section, part three, we've been calling it, the cost of the gospel, has really been, um, it's it's been interesting watching Paul shift from what has been a like faithful ministry, planting churches, doing incredible works for God, to shifting almost his heart, his mindset, his posture, to understanding that his time is coming to an end. That he really, like, his time is coming to an end. At least the, the fruitfulness of his ministry. And so, if you've been kind of following the last few weeks, he would have gone from, like, trial to trial to trial. Then we heard last week from Pastor Andy, he's actually finally headed to Rome to face Caesar. He said, I appealed to Caesar in, earlier, in the earlier text, saying, I want to go in front of Caesar. And so, he's actually granted that, being a Roman citizen. So, on his way there, there's, there's a shipwreck. Um, and Andy preached a great message, sharing about how God will get you where you need to go, even if it's on broken pieces beautiful message. He spends some time in Malta, about three months, and then eventually he does find his way into Rome, where he is put into prison. Not to, like, straight away goes into kind of house arrest, and that's where he spends his time. And that's kind of the end of Acts. Like, truly, like, uh, that's kind of what happens. He, he kind of sits there, and he sits in house arrest, where he debates again, with guess who, with powerful high-ranking Jews, where so, when some believe and some don't. He, he continues to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, specifically to the Romans and Turians and different people who, who kind of are watching him. He just kind of sits and preaches and writes and teaches and welcomes people in. These are the final two verses of the book of Acts. Acts 28, verses 30-31. It says, For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with boldness, and without hindrance. And that's a good word. I love hearing that. Like, without hindrance, he was able to preach and teach, but he, he stayed, but the gospel continued to move forward. He couldn't leave his house, but the church continued to grow. And I think you can read that and feel like, I kind of thought we were going to get one more trial. Like, I kind of thought we'd have Paul versus Caesar, and it was like two warriors in the ring. Like, you almost expected this final boom, finale, whatever it was. But this is how the writer Luke, finishes this book, to tell the church, to tell us, to show that just because this is the end of Paul's story does not mean that this is the end of the church's story, that this is not the end of our story, amen? that the church is still alive and strong, that the body of Christ continues to move forward, that the gospel and the kingdom continues to need to be proclaimed and preached and written about. That is the whole point that he's trying to make, that this is not how the story ends, that it actually moves forward and moves forward with us. And so today, though, I want to kind of recap much of Paul and the way he kind of didn't live his life, because we've already followed how he lived and what he did, I want us to unpack how he viewed his life, how, what he would have written in these final days, some of the things that we can take from other letters from Paul. Because after, again, all the major trials, you would assume it would have been something different at the end, but the thing we can actually learn best from Paul is not how he just lived his life, but how he viewed his life. How he viewed his life. To show you what I mean, I want, you to, to, I want to take you back to Acts 20, which would have been the start of him recognizing he's going from fruitful ministry a farewell ministry. He wants to go to Ephesus, but he knows if he goes there, he's going to stay because he loves this place and loves these people. You maybe have that place, you're like, I can't go there now because it won't just be a 20-minute visit. It's going to be a th- 13-hour visit, you know? And so he's like, I can't do it. So what he actually does is he calls the leaders of the different churches kind of in the surrounding areas, but specifically from, the, from, from Ephesus. and He says, come to me, and they gather. And it says this in Acts 20, starting in verse 18. When they arrived, again, that's the leaders, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. He's saying like, listen, you know how I have lived. You know why I've done what I've done. And now he's kind of sharing how he's done it. And not just how, but the view he has of himself that has caused him to live in the way that he has. Just imagine, this is his final farewell. He will never see these people again. He says, and now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. We know the end of the story, but he doesn't at this point. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, verse 24, I only know that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. I want to read it one more time, just that final verse. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying the good news of God's grace. I don't think we talk like that anymore. I think when we talk about life, we don't say, like, I consider my life worth nothing to me. We'd be like, man, I want that guy's life. I want... What kind of life is this? Oh, my life, right? We look at it exhaustively. We look at it as the things we don't have. Oh, I wish I could. I wish I had. What a life. Recently, this is kind of a a funny story, but recently my kids, they're not allowed to watch TV on the weekdays really. And so, but on the weekends, I send them straight down to have their brains melted by the TV so I can have 25 extra minutes of sleep. Can I get an amen? Amen. And so I'm like, oh, I don't care, whatever, do whatever you want. And so they go down, and recently, my children, rather than watching Bluey or whatever, you know, kids love, I don't know, Blippi, whatever, you know, your kids watch. I don't want to say what my kids watch, because then I'm going to feel judged, so I'm just not going to tell you. (laughs) But I'm going to tell you what they have started watching, and now you're really going to judge me. Recently, I came down, and my kids are watching, like, all the planet Earths. But, like, is it amazing, though? I don't know. Like, like, the, like, I came down recently and I was like, what are you guys watching in Georgia and Bo and they're all cuddled up under a blanket. And I literally, I looked, I paused the documentary and it was Killer Whales versus Great White Sharks. And it was like how they're battling, right? Did you know this? There's a battle in the ocean, friends. And it's it's happening We're currently, right now. Killer whales and great whites thrashing it out. And Bo is just like, he cannot believe it. Did you know that a, that a killer whale will bite the liver of a Great Reich and just leave it there? Like he, he's just like, he knows all these facts. He's five the other day we were sitting, we were having breakfast and the TV was still on, I was like, someone turn that off and, and I'm bitting down the eggs on toast and doing all these things and, and Bo was just glued to the TV I'm like, Bo, eat and George just starts to be glued, I look at Levi and he's like looking at the TV and we're, we all as a family just focused in on this cheetah that was tackling a gazelle it's, it is captivating, isn't it? and I remember Bo, he looked at it and he, the cheetah took down the gazelle and he went what a life <laughs> I was like He's kind of right, isn't he? Man, can you imagine? When I put my kids to sleep, Bo really likes to hear the TV. And so recently he's been saying, can you put on planet Earth? I was like, you want to fall asleep to dying gazelles? What's wrong with you, child? So I do, I put it on the TV, I'm putting it on TV. And recently I put on what I thought was another documentary similar to planet Earth, it's called Limitless with Chris Hemsworth, Thor, Blue Eyes, Big Delts. You know the guy. And he is doing this show. It's like a six-series episode. Where he's tackling and like, doing all these strenuous, stressful things. And it's really interesting. I thought it was about pushing life to the limit, but what he continues to say in this documentary, the opening scene, the ending scene, is always about how he can tackle stress, how he can learn to overcome these different things, fears, so that he can live longer. That's kind of the, the, the thesis of this whole thing that he's doing. He wants to live longer. There is this weird kind of fascination almost to live longer. We don't want to go at death. Death scares us. It worries us. It concerns us. When we look at life, we're like, man, what a life. What can I leave? How can I live?" We're so concerned with the time we have left. We feel like we're losing life moments and years every single day. It's like this thing we feel like we've lost its grip. I recently read an article. I actually was like Googling all sorts of stuff, and it's the, the increasing obsession with living forever. There is like a fascination with prolonging life as long as we can. I want to read to you a paragraph from this article. It said, Jeff Bezos, many of you know him, has been investing in biotech companies, which last year he even opened a, a British-based lab near Cambridge that used cellular reprogram- reprogramming to slow, halt, and reverse aging. Mark Zuckerberg, breakthrough prize annually. He, he awards $3 million to scientists every year making transformative advances toward extending human life. The Google founders put $750 million behind a company that plans to end all age-related diseases. Peter Thiel, the co-founder of PayPal, invested in the new foundation, which aims to make 90 the new 50. And all of people who are 90 and older said, no, I'm just kidding. Do you not find it incredibly fascinating that the wealthiest, like, people with most influence, that the Thors of the world (laughs) cannot buy the very thing they desire most. They want longevity. They want time. Church, they want legacy. And we're trying so hard to reverse ageism because we're so scared of the life we're leading, living, living. We're trying so hard to prolong this one thing. We're holding, we're holding on to with everything we have. I feel for people who don't see that there is a eternity after life. I understand the reason behind wanting to stay healthy and extending our lives to be with our cherished loved ones for as long as we possibly can, and I'm not judging that. But Paul holds a very different view of life than someone who is saying, "How can I possibly live longer? Every single moment, every single day." You see the comparison I'm making. We look at life so differently. The way Bo looks at life is very different than the way I look at life, than maybe the way you look at life. We're trying so hard to extend it and and grow it as best we can. We're wishing away our life, hoping for someone else's. When Paul is writing, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim in life is to what? Finish the race that the Lord Jesus has given me. That this life is a gift that God has given me, and my goal in life is to complete that task. And no matter how many years I get, if I complete that task, that is a life fulfilled. He says in Philippians 3, verse 7, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of just knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I consider them all, he says this, garbage garbage consider everything else in life garbage, that I might gain Christ. So I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Not more stuff, not more value, not more success, not more homes, not more... No, my prize is what? Heavenward. Second Timothy 4.6, he writes to his spiritual son, Timothy, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time of my departure is near. And I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but any and all those who have longed for his appearing. Galatians 2.20. This is what Paul, this is his view of life. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 31, I affirm that I boast, excuse me, by the boasting in which I have in Christ Jesus, I choose to die daily. Should I keep going? I could read 2 Colossians, I could read Colossians 2 20. We could read Philippians 1, verses 20 through 23. He talks about more there. Paul's view of life, as he reflects, as he heads to the end, is very different than how we view life. We're trying to uphold it, extend it. We, we take our life as if it's this like, we, we create a status out of it and we need to you know, embrace every opportunity and a blessing and richer. There's like this grandeur, sort of pride about how to live, when to live, looking our best now, all these things. And for Paul, as, he, as soon as he gained the gift of salvation in Acts 9, he gained a whole view of life that was totally different. As soon as he gained the gift of salvation, he viewed his life as service. Not as something to accomplish, not amount of dollars to gain. It was salvation, and then it was service, and then after service, it was. Doesn't matter how much suffering I may take on. God has called me towards this thing, and I know I'm still young, like ish. Okay, (laughs) because some of you in here are younger than me. I know I am. I get that, but legacy is something that's often on my mind. Legacy, what I leave in this world, what I leave to my family, it matters to me, for sure and not a self-proclaiming sense. I want to make God famous, amen? I really do. How I live according to God matters to me, and it mattered to Paul. And I wonder if we've just been so concerned with our life and how we're doing that we're not asking the question, am I running and am I going to finish the task that God has placed upon me? I don't want a name on a plaque or a timestamp in history. I don't think any of us really have to have that. But we have the opportunity to leave a legacy of faith. But do we have the view of life that will actually allow us to do that? Paul's view gave him the ability to leave a legacy of faith. Is our view of life similar to Paul's, or is it so self induced, so self-minded, so self-aware, all about me and what I need and what I have in my life that we're forgetting what God is actually calling us to do and how to live. And the view changes things because in Romans 12.1, here's another one for you. Paul wrote, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. This is your true and proper worship, holy and pleasing to God. Isn't that what he wrote? In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies. In view of what he has done, offer yourselves up. That is worship. That is pleasing to God. And so as we leave this series, as we wrap it up, I want us to be thinking about how we view our life and how it can actually change the way we live our life. Because his view of his life drastically changed the output. Acts 20, continue on in that section, is where Paul does this farewell speech to his closest friends and, and to the Ephesian leaders. And he leaves us some tips on how we should view our life before we start to live our life. He says this, starting in verse 32. We're going to break it down verse by verse. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you, I love this word, inheritance among all those who are sanctified. One more time. I, give, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which will build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. What he's saying is, listen, the inheritance you receive is not here and now. We really want it to be. But the greatest inheritance we receive is not here and now. The prize of life, guys, is heaven. Christ is the joy of life, but the prize, the reward of the cost of sacrificing and living for the gospel for the rest of your life is heaven. And Paul knew that. Not just because he was coming in the light. He spent many years post this moment. He just recognized from the very start that I consider everything else lost except the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus. I fix my eyes heavenward. I look past just this life and I look on to eternity with my Father. And he is aware that something's coming to the end, but he, he makes sure that to make the most important thing the most important thing. He doesn't major in the minors. He keeps the most important thing straight ahead. And I, I wonder if maybe we have done opposite. We have made one thing, and I think every generation has the thing. Like for a while, the house. The house and the family was the thing. If you could have a home and own it, and you had a family, you reached it in life. For many years, this was the thing. Home and family, white picket fence, potentially a golden retriever as well, but that was just for extra special, a nice golden retriever. Like, that was the perfect thing. Right? And then it shifted, kind of, for the younger millennial, Gen Z, it shifted, I think, and it became not the home and the family, the most prized possession of all of life. The most important thing is the college degree. It's true. true. I remember in grade nine and 10 having teachers being like, what are you gonna do after you graduate? And I was like, I don't even know what I'm gonna do this weekend. Like, I, I quite literally, when I tell, like, tell you I don't know, I quite literally mean, I don't know. Like, I'm not trying to be the class clown, I just didn't know. Like, you know what I mean? And so we were like, we push it on kids and it's like, are you gonna take engineering? Are you gonna take computer science? Are you gonna do in the humanities? You have to know. It went from home, it went to college degree. Now I think it's shifted entirely. It's less about a thing to have and more about a following to create. And I think the way to make it in life, the very thing, the most important thing in life, is how many people follow you. And none of it matters at the end. And he says, the inheritance I want to remind you of is a heavenly one, not a financial one. The inheritance I want to leave to you is spiritual, not financial that only God and the word of his grace can build you up and give you an inheritance in heaven. And that is it. And he had this view. And this hits home if you have family and kids. Like, are, am I discipling my kids to have that view? Am I discipling my family, like loving my, the people in my life, to prioritize heaven? Because heaven is the prize and Christ is what we need to get there. Amen? He next goes on to say, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold. This is verse Verse 33. You guys know this. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. Again, his view of life was that you don't find the prize in things, which I was just kind of leading us to. Life, Guys, he's saying life has wants and life has needs, and those two things are not the same. What you need and what you want are very different, Right? But the heart wants what the heart wants. How many times have you tapped the credit card with that mantra? This word covet is this Greek word, epithéomeo, epithéomeo, which is this desire, this lust after, this longing for, or one person wrote, it's to set the heart upon. And Paul's saying, I did not set my heart upon silver, I did not set my heart upon gold. I do not set my heart upon clothing. And if we view our life as simple as if I have this much silver and this much gold and these many things and, this, and, and church, then I'll be good. If that is the way we view life, we will severely miss it. And Paul's saying, I didn't let my eyes or heart covet anything like that. I've not coveted anyone's things. In fact, I just used my hands to meet the needs that I needed to have. And even to be generous, and we'll read about it in a second. And that's why I just think for us, we need to recognize... I do think it's interesting that he mentions clothing. I do. I, I follow a friend who pastors in Vancouver, and, and he's a good guy. And he was just Instagramming recently that... Do you guys see that Aritzia had a warehouse sale? Right? I'm surprised at how many people knew about that. I was corrected from this morning. I thought it was just a grand opening. It's a warehouse sale. That's very different. 70% off. Okay? 1,300 employees were needed to have this warehouse sale. And you can literally, like, what's that in Stanley Park, the long boardwalk thing there, whatever it's called? The Skywall? Ski wall? The seawall. Skywall. Let's build a skywall. That sounds fun. Uh, the seawall, like, hun- like thousands of people lining up at 2 in the morning in the rain just to get into the Aritzia warehouse sale. Anyone go? Just kidding, go. You don't have to raise your hand. We can just pray for you later. Ah, I'm just kidding. It's okay. You can, you can want clothes. It's, it's not a bad thing. I'm clearly a big into fashion, as you can tell. <laughs> Most of what I wear is given to me by Andy or Ron, and that's not even a lie. <laughs> the amount of times I've worn a shirt that Ron once wore, you don't even know. You'll never know. We covet clothing. Like, if you really, can I... I'm trying to, like hit this point so hard, and I I wanted to stick, that this thing would become greater than where you spend eternity. Like, do you really just pause and think about that for a moment? (sighs) Paul's saying, your view is off. Why do you covet the things of your life instead of the gift that you've been given? Keep your focus on heaven. Don't Wants and needs are different. And in fact, the needs that you even need to have, God will take care of you. That's why I love the song, Give Me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have, like, world, you can have all of everything else, but just give me Jesus. Or the, or the other song, Turn Your Eyes to Jesus. Come on, I know you know it. Look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Man, I hope that song becomes not just a song, but a view by which we, we say, this is how I'm supposed to lead my life, to not covet these things, to set my heart upon. I hope my heart is only set upon Jesus. Because I, I mean this, and it's true, you can't leave a legacy of faith if your view of this world and its stuff is what gives you the most joy. You, you, there won't be a legacy of faith if that's where your priorities are. I know it sounds harsh, but it's true. Verse 35, in everything I did, Paul keeps saying to his friends, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Friends, our lives, this is point number three, our lives are not just ours to live, but ours to give. This this view will shift the way you respond to people in your world. We often want to just take and hoard and hold on to and not... Even this week, I was just really challenged. I was getting someone a gift, and I was like, oh, how little can I get away with on this gift? (laughs) Oh, no one's ever done that before. Good to know. Good to know. (laughs) $25 is not good enough anymore. When did that happen? Hey, thanks, inflation. Um, And I just, I feel like... God is saying, listen, if you want to live a life that follows me, that, that cherishes me, if, you want your, if your focus is on Christ and your goal is on heaven, then your life will be not one just to, to receive, but one that gives, one that gives generously. And I'm not, this is not a moment to talk about money or time. I think it's interesting. It said, in everything I did, he said, in everything I did, I showed you that this hard work, this hard work, is work that we must do to help the weak in everything I did. It's interesting, I was researching generous people, and you know the top thing that came up about generous people? They live life longer, you know? Take that, Chris Hemsworth, you know what I'm saying? Just, you don't need to do the ice bath and the scary walk. you can just be generous. The Hebrew word you'll find in the Old Testament for justice and generosity is to Zaka, which is actually the same word for righteous. Consider this for a moment, that in the Old Testament, God is saying, listen, your personal righteousness is completely and intrinsically linked with living a life of justice and a life that is generous. Those two things go hand in hand. You can almost, in most places, you can literally take the word and just replace it. Justice for righteous." In the Gospel of Luke, one out of every six verses, the same writer of Acts, one out of every six verses is about how we care and give back to the poor. This is a life that is led with a view that it's not just mine to keep and hold and hoard. This is a life to give. This is a life to to lead to others. This is a life to serve. This is a life that I need to have a view that this isn't just about me and myself and growth and goals and financial success. It's different to, to follow Christ is different. At one point, Paul writes in one of his letters, I don't know if it's better for me to stay here and suffer and keep doing this thing so I can preach the gospel or just to die, because then I can finally be out of this pain but I get to go to heaven. Because both are so awesome. Death is so awesome, Paul is saying. Because he just wants to continue to give. and to, it's, it's not about your self-growth. In fact, this is so interesting. In the early church, sex slavery was accepted as the norm. In the early kind of, when the early church was growing in the Greco-Roman world, that was very normal. It was rampant. Human trafficking, sex trafficking, until the Christian church came along, that was normal. But then, there's a historian, his name is Kyle Harper. He says that you can actually trace the growth of the early church because wherever the early church was growing, sex slavery and human trafficking was being diminished. That the most, he writes this, the most reliable early church growth metric is by following the legal overturn of sexual violence against women. That is how we have tracked the church, the body of Christ. It fought for justice. It fought for mercy. It said, I will not accept the norms of this life because my view of life is heavenward. My view of life is towards the gospel, which causes me not to live for self, but to die is gain. That was Paul's view. That sounds like the gospel. Hey? Hey? I'm going to hold you accountable. Wake up. This is big. This matters. Church, this is not a sermon we sit through and we leave. Because if we leave, our view of life stays the same. If we leave no different, then our city doesn't change. And the legacy of faith that you dream about can't happen. I want us to leave a legacy of faith for the kids in the classrooms right now. Please hear me. I, I don't want us to, I'm not saying this is the only sermon that ever matters. That's not what I'm saying. But I don't want us to miss this. Paul's view his entire life was not about him. It's about the gospel. It was the prize ahead. If we're only focused on the prize for ourselves, we're going to miss it. Friends, the world misses it. The church can't. The church can't miss it. We can't read all of Acts and think, that's nice, and go on trying to win and gain and grow. We have to see the sacrifice that is here. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to harp. I just don't want us to miss this. Because there is a cost to the gospel that it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. It's not my wants, it's not my desires. Final scripture for you this morning. When Paul had finished speaking, verse 36, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them the most is, was his statement that they would never see his face again and they accompanied him to the ship. I just, I love that the greatest treasure here, the final thing Paul gets to, he, he, he kneels and prays. You ever think about, what, man, if I had that moment back, if I, if I knew what the time was, what I would say or what I would do, the things I would say to my loved ones, if I... Paul had a moment, he was very aware that he was about to never see these people ever again. And he doesn't like go to each one of them and give them a a word. He doesn't say, don't cry, it's gonna be okay. He doesn't like go out and celebrate at Cactus Club and get a couple, you know what I mean? Like he doesn't, he prays and he embraces. And I think prayer with loved ones is a timeless treasure. And I hope that our view of life would be that, that prayer and people are of the highest value, a timeless treasure. And I pray and hope that you would see that this morning. That rather than doing the thing or getting, gaining the thing, that sometimes staying where you are and kneeling, I love the posture that he kneels. The posture of kneeling represents the humility that the greatest treasure we may have is actually just to kneel with those whom we love the most and pray to the one that loves us the best. Man, That's powerful. And I just wonder if if we would sit and be with those people, our people, and how we wouldn't gaze on anything else, not clothing, not items, not silver, but just each other, being in the presence of God. That's what First Wednesday is, friends. I'd really encourage you to come. And as I close today, you know, at the start of this series, me and Pastor Andy were praying, and he was praying something, I don't even know if he realized it, and I had to write it down because it was so powerful. As he was praying for our church and praying in this series, he said, my As he was praying, he said, I pray that the grip of earth would become less and less and the glory of heaven would become greater and greater. He prayed that over you 15 weeks ago. And I prayed over you again today that the grip of earth and culture and society and worldly things would become less and less and your view of life would be one of service and gratitude and generosity and prayer and humility. That your view of life would not just be to better yourself or to grow your financial position or to secure a better this or that, which, by the way, I'm not saying is wrong, but it's an outflow of what matters most first. The view of Jesus, the view of heaven would be so grand that that would be the determining factor of where you go and how you live your life. Because Paul lived different, profound. So kingdom-minded, because his mind was always on the kingdom. And so this morning, Luke's gonna sing for us. I want us to respond in a little different way. And maybe you have heard this whole sermon and you've followed a little bit, but you're still holding onto your life so much, and you're scared to give it away. Friends, you're not just giving away your life. You're gaining Jesus. You're gaining eternity. You're gaining the trust and the love of the Savior. I think we're scared to give away our life. We're scared to live like Paul because we're worried it's just going to end with us in hardship all the time. Does Paul seem disappointed? Does Paul seem angry? No, he's, he's literally as content as anyone you may have ever read because he understands that in the grips and the grace of the life that God has called him, he is able to live the life he is called to live. So this morning, I urge you and encourage you to give your life to Jesus, to not turn your heart upon anything else, but to turn your eyes to Jesus, amen? That he would be your view today, that heaven would be the prize, that it would open your heart to live in such a way that was different, that it changed. Let me pray over you and then we're going to sing. Jesus, this morning we pray that you would shift our mind. Forgive us where we have looked at the world with lust instead of cherishing you more and more and more. Lord, I pray you would be our focus, our soul focus this morning. That you would change us from the inside out. That our view of our life is not made to just be about us and build us and grow us, but to do and go and be the very thing you've called us to be. Would we consider our life worth nothing in comparison to just finishing the race and completing the task that you have for every family, every man, and every woman in this room? Lord, the tasks and calling in this room are nuanced. They're specific. Their gifts in this room are nuanced and specific, and I pray that we would follow you and use them with all that we have. And that this morning, Lord, the grip of earth would become less and less and the glory of heaven will become greater and greater and greater and greater. It's in Jesus' name. Would you stand to your feet? Can we sing together?
1: Would you lift your voice? Would
0: you posture your heart? Look
1: for Come on,
0: a little more, sing it
1: louder. Just
0: close your eyes, lift your hands to heaven and let him reprioritize your mind and your heart.
1: Come on.
0: one more time Lord would this be not just a a song but an anthem that rings in our heart Lord even in this room maybe you're even feeling this this morning church that you've just coveted things far too much that they have become the thing you treasure most would you just lift your hand just as a response between you and the Lord say Lord forgive me for cherishing anything more than you For you, maybe you have just been living your own life, your own way, and you're like, I don't want to just do this my own way. I want to do it God's way. If that's you, just lift a hand. Repent and return to him. Run to him. Say, Lord, I choose you. I choose your tasks. I choose to live my life after you, not after anything else. Make a prayer to God. Make an offering to God right now and just lift your hands and say, God, you are my view. You are the prize. Heaven is calling, and I am running straight ahead. I will finish the race. I will complete the task. I will continue to move forward. I will be the church in Jesus' name. So, Lord, I pray a blessing over every person here that the earth would grow dim, that heaven would grow bright, that Christ, you would light our heart, and we would follow you with everything we have. Can we sing this song one more time? All together, as a church, declaring it over to everyone in the cl- its classrooms, let's sing together.